This week on a lively experiment, Rhode Island is awash in federal COVID money. And while much of the focus has been on how the state will spend its share, what about the cities and towns? And the state opens up booster shot eligibility for everyone as infection numbers trend upward again. A lively experiment is generously underwritten by. Hi, I'm John Hazen White Jr. For over 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS. Joining us on this week's panel, Jim Vincent, president of the Providence branch of the NAACP. Bill Lynch, former chairman of the Rhode Island Democratic Party. And Republican strategist, Lisa Pelosi. Hi everyone and welcome to Lively, I'm Jim Hummel. It's something new for the leaders of Rhode Island's municipalities. What to do with a windfall from the American Rescue Plan. Some have spent or allocated a good portion of their share while others have not spent a dime. And when Saka's proposal to use some of its pot to build a skating rink not only raised eyebrows, but the question of how these dollars should be spent. That's kind of the poster child on this, Jim. But there's a lot of money, and it's a luxury for some of these towns. I, you know, a lot of people are wondering, should there be oversight? What do you think about how the cities and towns should handle well, it? Well, I think most of the cities and towns, as well as the state, have, have had processes where there is oversight. I know in Providence there is. There's a task force, for example, and I'm part of a consultant group. Also, that's advising uh, the city in terms of uh, how those dollars should be spent. We had a, 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 a webinar to ask the community how these monies should be spent. And I think most people will agree that housing, small business, and workforce development are the areas that most people feel where the money should be spent. So in the case of Woonsocket, I know that's only like 10% or 1% or whatever the, uh, the percentage is of the money. But it grabs the headlines. But it grabbed the headlines. So it might have been something they might want to have done later and did some housing and small business and workforce development first. I think it is uh, something, I think an attempt to appease, you know, the youth issue in terms of having something to do. But I think, you know, the crisis in housing and small business and workforce development is screaming out. And I think most cities and towns should really take a look at those areas first and get that money out as fast as possible. I only saw one or two communities where they actually hired somebody. And I think it would make sense. You got all these millions of dollars. You know, look, I know that's another person and more on the payroll, but given the amount of money, somebody to really focus on this. I agree. And I think the transparency is very important here, too. So as much as we can use our websites, you know, be it the state website for the state money and the municipalities for theirs, just to show, you know, taxpayers and voters where this money is going. It was very unfortunate with Woonsocket because most of the communities you said are right. You know, they're rightfully looking at the money coming in, the parameters of how to spend it, be it on infrastructure, um, you know, be it on housing, replenishing the money that they lost in their budget because of um, the impacts of, of COVID. It was just unfortunate that Woonsocket, that they didn't package it right either. That, you know, the need for a, a rink, you know, made sense, you know, to help youths have a place to go. But when I saw the money being spent for uh, chairs, you know, in a conference room, I'm thinking, really, is this the best way to use this money? And the mayor jumped ugly a little bit at the at the hearing. It doesn't help when you're yelling at people that, you know, now you I get criticized. You know, that's the job you're, you've signed up for. Billy? Well, so it's a, no, no good deed goes unpunished, I guess, in one socket. I mean, they did have a transparent process uh, with the mayor and the council, and one of the loudest things they heard 
And Jim's right. They, they also have a second phase coming that addresses some affordable housing issues and some small business uh, assistance. But one of the biggest things they heard in Woonsocket was that the kids have nowhere to go, that they're getting in trouble because they don't have any activities. So Woonsocket came up with this plan with, the, with this rink that is going to be free and available for kids to use. And the first thing that happens is the <laughs> same people that were complaining that the kids have nothing to do turned on the mayor and the council and said, you know, we shouldn't be doing this. So I think it's kind of a catch-22. I, I think that the, the, the messaging, you know, was not good. Uh, and I think the timing could have been right. probably a little bit different. I think the timing should definitely have been a little bit different. I mean, you can do those kinds of things, but you got to look at what the, the, the overall community wants. And that's housing, small business, workforce development, primarily. So if they would have came up with that, okay, first, and then mentioned you know, the, the skating rink later as part of a package of other things, then I don't think they would have got themselves the headline and got themselves in the kind but, of trouble. But, but let's be candid. What would have happened is this, the group that was pushing for the recreational use and the availability for these kids would have been saying, look, yeah, we need affordable housing. We want to help these businesses, but we've got all these kids in our community who have no, nothing to do, nowhere to go, no access to recreation. It, it was a lose-lose, I think, either way. You know, and you mentioned about hiring people. What I've been looking for is a more coordinated effort between the state and the municipalities, too. So when you talk about housing, housing is an issue from Westerly to Woonsocket. So we have all this money flowing to the state. We have money flowing to the municipalities. What about a coordinated effort that the state says, let's try to have every community meet our 10% um, um, plan to have affordable housing. You, municipality, you do this much, and the state will match. So it would be nice if the leaders could come together and maybe hire people to do that kind of coordinated effort to really make a long-lasting impact on the state of Rhode Island with this money. You know, I saw some of the larger communities, uh, Warwick and Cranston, they said, look, we lost a lot of revenue and we're going to backfill that. And I think that's an appropriate use because I think that's part of it. You remember Obama with the shovel ready and so I think there's confusion. What is this money really for? You don't have to decide on allocating until 24 and you don't have to spend it till 26. And I get the feeling there's confusion about, okay, can we use it for a skating rink? Can we use it for... I, I read some articles where people were quoted saying, we're still trying to figure out what the guidelines are. The government has not seemed to be very clear. Uh, I, think, I think one of the things, and I'll, I'll say it, people be, may be surprised, but the Democrats' messaging behind the infrastructure bill and what it actually is and what it actually contains and what it's going to do, I thought was horrible. I mean, <laughs> I mean all you kept hearing about was this infrastructure bill and the trillion do trillions of dollars, et cetera, et cetera, which, you know, okay, that sounded good at first. What is it? I mean, if you ask the average person in Pawtucket or Providence, you know, what does this all mean? Nobody knows what the, what the messaging was. I, I thought it was, from a political standpoint, really lacking. Would you agree with that? I, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I do agree with that. They should have called Bill for advice. If, if Lou Polo was here, I would have never admitted that. <laughs> He'll give Lisa a pass. Yeah. <laughs> Lou's watching, you know. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. You know, we see the broad categories that you know, are coming out, and there's so much money that's being, you know, that will be flowing to the states that there needs to be some more parameters around that. So I think that's something that we'll see going down the line. Messaging is really important. People do not know what's going on in terms of what these dollars are being spent for. Everybody knows 1.2 trillion bipartisan infrastructure bill, but do they really understand what that money is being spent for? Probably not. So yes, I, I agree with Bill that the messaging definitely has to be a lot better. On the larger issue, the state money, it, it, and we've talked about this over the course of the fall, it looks like the fall sessions mm. <laughs> out the window. That was going to be about a variety of things, but the governor now really wants to get the money out the door quickly for 
small businesses, affordable housing, some of the <laughs> development stuff that you were talking about. It looks like that's not going to happen until January. No, I mean, you know, next week is Thanksgiving, and then trying to bring the members of the General Assembly back during the December holiday month is it's always such a happen. challenge. And then you start your session in January, so you don't have that happening. I can understand the need. You know, there's the urgent needs. You want to get the money, but you have to do it right. You really have to have a system in place. And we've already seen with some of the previous money, the CARES federal money that came through, how many um, stories have we seen about money that was supposed to go to help tenants and landlords? you know, through the eviction process, you know, and that there wasn't a, a structure put in place to have that money flow appropriately. So we need to have structures put in place to make sure that the money is going where it should be going and the oversight that we've talked about is in place also. I think one of the things that we're seeing, which I think is great, is that uh, under the Democratic leadership presently, the state tax revenues are through the roof as compared to the estimates a year ago. You know, the last one I saw was that the state tax revenues were $600 million more than Are you than attributing that estimated. to the great Democratic leadership? Did I <laughs> hear that? Is that what I... Absolutely. It just didn't happen because people are spending more? Well, I think it's a combination Everybody's of Everybody's laser-focused on the surplus. Yeah. Usually the Democrats want to spend a little bit more, no? well, not raise more. But, but what they're doing is, and I think uh, particularly in conjunction, you've got the governor, the Senate president, and the speaker all weighing in, and they are methodically moving forward. There hasn't been a rush to spend, you know, this federal money. I think that there's a lot of planning taking place. There's been a public hearings that have been taking place over the past couple of months. So I think that, that rather than what people were afraid of, which is here comes all this federal money and it's just going to go flying out the right, doors, right. what you've really seen, uh, you know, the governor, McKee, has been pushing a little lately to get some of the money out a little just bit faster. Just the 10%. For, for, for some of these issues, but generally speaking, uh, I think there's been a real pragmatic, you know, sort of process that people are following to try to make sure that this money is spent properly. And I tend to agree with that. I think that there has been uh, some pragmatism. There has been some oversight, and I'd like to see the money get out there. The governor says he's going to spend $113 million. 54% uh, 54 of it is going to be on housing and small business and workforce development, so that's great. Maybe even more, more, a bigger percentage should be spent on those kinds of things. But there's also that other billion dollars that, you know, we have a lot of need here in the state. I'd like to see the money get out sooner rather than later. Oversight is important, but let's get that money out there because our communities are crying out for help. I, I just, let me just say, you know, during the Amman years when we would have the November Revenue Estimating Conference, which we would base our budget on, it always seemed that the numbers in November came in low. So <laughs> the governor only had a little bit of money. Yeah. Then May would come around with it. And all of a sudden, we have all this money coming in. We have... This is I, very unusual. This is just beyond <laughs> extraordinary that we have this much money coming in from the federal government, what you cited, over $600 million, you know, surplus. We're, it, we're flush with money right now. But isn't the concern... Okay, so the budget... Was was a little bit, you know, up 45%. A lot of that's federal money. Where do you begin? So it was $9.2 million like just three years ago. At what? And everybody thinks, oh, we got lots of money. Let's fund this and that. At some point, the bill's going to come due. I'm concerned that that $600 million is going to give us a false sense of economic that we're in great shape. You know, what about putting half away to a rainy day fund? Because you know the rainy day is going to come at some point. Right, and that's fully funded, I think, right now, too. You know, did we so pay it back from the borrowing? I thought we did, you know, so I think we're, you know... We're you can always use a little more, Lisa. I Am know. I sounding more conservative than you here? No, I know, possible? actually, you do, so this is great, you know. I mean, I like your thinking about this, you know, being a little bit more conservative, but looking for the long term. You know, usually the legislature looks at, oh, let's just get through the year, you know. And get to the next election. The next one, and then, you know, how many times have we said about kicking stuff down, you know, kicking the can down the road? So I like a little bit more long-term thinking about 
how we're spending this money. And that's why I agree with the, the leadership of the General Assembly. I really like the thoughtfulness that they've been putting forward with this, the, the committee hearings, and really doing a very comprehensive review of what What's we What's the need. alternate point of view on that surplus money? I thought Jim Hummel was the moderator of this program. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. All right, uh, just breaking Thursday night. Um, the governor has reached, it's funny that the governor's out of town when this happens, but that's a whole other discussion. Maybe the panel will get to this. Uh, Council 94, uh, which represents a lot of union workers, in the contract proposal that they just settled tentatively, they still have to vote on it, that the workers would get up to $3,000 for being fully vaccinated. Um, and so that causes a lot of people like, well, wh why are we doing this? We're so highly vaccinated. So at first blush, I know you were watching the news on Thursday night. What was going through your head? I was going through my head. I was all set, ready for the show with an outrage. And then oh, I saw that. You've been doing fine up until now. <laughs> I know. But when I, when I sat there and I heard it, you know, on a very positive note, I'm so glad that though the, the agreement is intentative, it's not final, that this came out. Because for the, you know, the Speaker of the House and the Senate President watching the show, you have the ability to stop this. This is absolutely bad public policy to be putting forward this type of money to have people for the number of months that we've been out there as a public health crisis, urging people to do the right thing, that, you know, go out, get vaccinated, do it for yourself, do it for your friends. To now say to people in the state government that if you do this, we're going to give you money. It is such a political move to do this, to give workers money right before Christmas, and then the second installment of this, two months before the primary next year. I want the Democratic candidates for governor out there howling that this is so bad. Is there an election next year? Yes. Is that, Jim, what do you think? Well, you know, certainly the optics look uh, troubling. Uh, however, you know, I'm the kind of person that up, up until now, have always said that we've got to do whatever we need to do to get as many people vaccinated as possible. And it's re regardless of how, what the percentage is, <clears throat> let's get as many people vaccinated as possible. The agreement is tentative. It hasn't been signed. Uh, I'm always erring in terms of doing whatever is needed to get people vaccinated. So, uh, you know. So take back everything I said about you, by the way. <laughs> Look, I was heard it when I was driving over here this morning, as I was saying to you, and the word that came to my mind was brilliant. Um, you know, first of all, what's been going on here is this, this negotiation for this contract has been going on for months and months. And these state workers who, in my opinion, deserve a raise, that was part of the negotiation. So I think that Governor McKee was brilliant and said, look, you know, you want a raise. We've been negotiating. We're talking about giving you a, a raise over the next two years. I want people getting vaccinated. Let's see if we can work something out so that you get the raise that you're looking for, but we get some incentive to make sure people get vaccinated. It's happening all over the country. There are all kinds of, some people call them gimmicks, um, to try to get more and more people vaccinated so we can get back to where everybody wants to be before this pandemic. This is a little more I than a few it was scratch genius. tickets, Bill. Well, you know what? <laughs> right? It's a hundred. We're giving to your it's, favorite it's, nonprofit. It's a raise to the state workers of about $120 a month, when, the way I calculated it. And I think that that was part of the negotiation anyway, that the state workers were looking for an increase in pay. I mean, everybody, yeah, but this everybody wants an increase. Isn't this a bonus on it top is. of the pay? It is. It's all part of the, the, the negotiation for the entire contract. He, the Governor McKee has been out there for months, shots in the arms. How many times have we heard that? You know, really make people understand that we need to do this collectively to protect our state. 
Now to go back and say to the folks who already did it, we're going to give you money. What about the healthcare workers who are mandated? They're not getting paid. What about all the schools that we've gone to and the teachers and the students to say, please get you know vaccinated? Why not just give every Rhode Islander the, the, that same three thousand if you, if that's so important? Why now is it you're just, starting to sound like a Democrat. Well, there you go. I mean, you know, you're talking about. I'm so but, confused. <laughs> but so, but why, so I am confused because is the intent one? to reward the workers who have been vaccinated, and two, is $3,000, oh, it's a hefty sum of money, is that really going to encourage somebody in Council 94 to say, wow, I really want that money, now I'm going to go get vaccinated? Is it as a reward or is it as an incentive? That's the question that I have. But the vast majority of the workers already have the vaccine. That's what I'm saying, so it's ex post facto on the That's right, but then look at the timing of it. For the you know for the, the the disbursement of it, it's right before the Christmas holidays. Here's fifteen hundred dollars to go out, you know, and think kindly of Governor McKee, and then to do it in July of next year, two months before what we know was going to be a contentious Democrat primary for the workers again to get fifteen hundred dollars. You know he's going to be out there touting it. It's truly a political move. Lisa, it's bad public policy. Lisa, you're starting to sound like the Grinch. <laughs> Come on. What, what were those? Was it Christmas clubs, key clubs? What were those things you put money away all year and then you took it out at Christmas? Sounds like that. It's a nice bonus. Well, like I said, the optics look bad. However, you know, anything to get people vaccinated, I'm for. Now, the, the fact that people have already been vaccinated, well, that's... Um, but he, you know, he he rejected the million dollar lottery that the Massachusetts wanted to do. Then he did that little stunt with the gift cards to get people to do it. So he's been trying to find different incentives to do it. This is for just a very select group of people, just just state workers. This is so wrong. You know, I do find it interesting, and this is to be continued because we'll see what happens with the contract. I did find it interesting that uh, Rhode Island got a little ahead of the CDC because we've been following the CDC on the booster shots. And so, of course, I was in that category. They opened it up to everybody. So I'm, you know, going and I, I was able to get a shot. But I wonder what you think about that because because Rhode Island has been very hesitant to get just lockstep with CDC, and now the booster shots are open to everybody. I think it's a great idea. I just wonder what flipped the switch on that. I'm getting my booster shot at 1230 today. This is Friday as we're taping this. And, and yeah, I, I hope that everybody who's now eligible can do it. Um, you know, I, I think that the only thing, I, I've said this before, I don't understand the rationale behind people who just adamantly will not get vaccinated. I know there are people that feel strongly about it, and, and I've talked to them. I used to debate it. Now I don't even do that anymore. And I just don't understand it. I think that we can be in a much better place and be safer and, and get back to where we all want to go if people just got vaccinated. I totally agree. You know, I had got my booster uh, as soon as I could. And uh, I think everybody should get vaccinated and get the booster and what have you. But there's so much misinformation out there and people are falling for. I mean, it's at a point now where people that have children going to school are even questioning whether or not they should get shots for for mumps and measles and the things that we've already defeated. Yeah. They're not, not That you didn't think twice about. They didn't think twice about, that they didn't think twice about, or their parents didn't think twice about. But now, because of the misinformation and the actual outright lies that are out there, uh, you have parents that are not even getting shots at all for their kids. My only it's that bad. My only concern is, and I got a call from somebody just in my uh, <clears throat> role as the Hummel report. He said he went to get 
his shot and the pharmacies are handling it now, right? As opposed to the state-run centers. It was very harried. They wound up giving him a fourth booster instead of the Shingrick shot that he had gone. And so, again, that's an isolated example. But I wonder whether now that they've opened it up, all the pharmacies are ready. Because, you know, you remember when we had limited vaccine back in the spring, it was tough getting the appointment. So I just kind of wonder about that. Yeah, I don't think, you know, a lot, early on we heard about the difficulty of signing up for the shot, you know, the, the vaccine initially. I don't think we've heard anything about the booster right now. It's just so new, you know. So and I think it will be a limited amount of people. I don't think it will be the full wave of everybody wanting to get that third shot. Yeah. So we'll see. All right. Uh, got a couple other things to talk about. An interesting uh, survey from the Rhode Island Bar Association came out this past week about inequity and uh, racism in the court system. I will say only 300 people out of the 5,000 answered it, but there were, it was a window into this. But I know you've been following this very closely. Sure. So kind of summarize for us what you read into it. Well, what I read into it is something that a lot of us have known all along, that there are problems in the courts uh, with, with racism, with sexism, with uh, a lot of different kind of isms. And it just kind of, you know, put it in writing. I mean, in that report, they said there are times when judges think uh, certain lawyers of color are, are the defendant and that they berate women attorneys on a regular basis. I don't think anybody's shocked by that. And I know that's only 305,000, but that's more of an indictment on the people that didn't fill out the survey. I think it was very important to do that. Uh, there's a task force, uh, d uh, equity and inclusion task force by, uh, that's been put together uh, in the Supreme Court. And I think it's a serious topic. So I think that we have to understand that there has been nepotism and cronyism in terms of staff hiring in the courts. We don't have as many judges of color as we need. We do have people that have implicit bias in the courtroom in terms of from top to bottom, and, and that happens. What do we do about it is what I, I, I'm interested in. And in terms of mandatory training for staff and judges or whatever, that should happen. That should have always happened. Let's, let's move forward. I think that this report just stated the facts that there's problems in terms of uh, prejudice and bias in the court system from top to bottom, and it has been for a long time. So I've been a practitioner for over 30 years in, in every court in Rhode Island, mm -hmm. and, and um, kudos to uh, Chief Justice Sutel, who proactively got out front, you know, and with a group put together this survey amongst the bar members to see, get some feedback and some input. It was a little disappointing that more people didn't reply, but nevertheless, um, you know, he's done an unbelievable job, and he's, you know, nationally recognized, uh, you know, as one of the best chief justices in the country at this point. And I think that the survey showed what a lot of us knew, uh, which is that there is still some uh, inherent racism, uh, discrimination in certain areas in the courts, no different than, frankly, any other institution probably in Rhode Island. So the question, and I think that Judge Sattel and, and the other chief judges of the respective courts deserve a lot of credit for recognizing it, um, being transparent and, and, and releasing, you know, they could have tried to keep this in-house. They publicly released the, the report and said, now we've sort of got a roadmap about what we can do to address this, which is fantastic. I mean, if you go in the, through the court system now, I know with COVID it's, you know, different and, and not operating at full capacity in person anymore, but if you did, the difference in the court system now as opposed to 25 or 30 years ago is significant. Um, you know, do we have a long way to go? Of course. But it's improved dramatically over a period of time. The diversity on the bench, you know, Jim and I talk about this frequently, is better certainly than it was. Um, if you go walk through the courthouses and see people who are employed there who really, you know, the clerks and the administrative staff who really make the place run every day, 
uh, are much more diverse. Um, so, I mean, I think that we've made progress um, that I've seen, but, you know, it's an ongoing process, I, I think. Yeah, you know, if, if you can say if anything positive came out of the killing of George Floyd last year was the conversations that have been happening and the, the task force that have been developed because of that. Um, I was a little concerned about the lack of response. You know, I think that's something right there, you know, an issue in itself. Um, but it, the people who did respond, you know, brought up some um, issues that really need to be addressed. And when you look at the state of Rhode Island, that in this year was the first time we have a person of color appointed to the Rhode Island Supreme Court just shows that we have a long ways to go. Yeah, I don't mean to out uh, the court system because that could be said for, for a lot of other departments. So I'm, I'm, I'm agreeing with Bill uh, that, you know, it is good that Judge Sattel has put together this task force to bring these issues out and open in the public. So, yeah, they should be applauded for taking a proactive step. Uh, every department should be doing that in state government. They yeah. should be coming up with that kind of a report and that kind of response. And uh, should it's a, to, I guess the bottom line is that, you know, we have a long way to go in the court system. However, at least they're, they're looking at it, they're, they're taking it in, and they're taking some concrete steps to uh, alleviate or eradicate, you know, some of these things that have been plaguing us for decades. Okay. Let's do uh, outrages and or kudos. Lisa, I know you had to call an audible on your outrage today. It was originally going to be the uh, the vaccine uh, bonus, but what do you have? Well, and I, hopefully this is going to redeem myself with you, you know, Bill. <laughs> well, try hard. Okay, so <laughs> let me try this. Um, I have to say this week, you know, there were two incidences that really made me disappointed to be a member of the Republican Party. It started with the um, second time in the, in the state of Wyoming that the Wyoming um, Republican Party um, decided, voted to not recognize Congresswoman Liz Cheney as being a member of their party. Then um, we had the House of Representatives rightfully censure a Republican congressman from Arizona for posting on social media a video of him attacking a member of the House and, and attacking President Biden. That is totally not acceptable behavior. And I'm just disappointed that, you know, here's two instances of our Republican Party that I'm, I'm very disappointed with. You're back in good graces with you? You're getting better. Oh, okay. Right. What do you have? Well, I was going to reference the, the congressman from Arizona who, you know, thought it was clever to, to show uh, a little video of him taking a sword and beheading, you know, a Democratic congresswoman, which obviously is just idiotic. Uh, but uh, so disappointing was yeah. that when the, Republic, when the Republicans had a chance to state, you know, their opposition to that, Nobody voted to censure him. They just, you know, basically sat on their hands and looked the other way. Which and he was, got President Trump's voted. endorsement. Except for Liz Cheney. Right. Well, two, two. Two, yes. I mean, this would be a no-brainer under any other circumstances, but people are still so concerned about Trump. Was that your outrage, or did you have... Well, I was going to skip over and say, because it's Thanksgiving week, that was going to be my outrage. But I think I think to take a minute, and, and even though we're not out of this pandemic, we sort of see, I feel like we're starting to move in the right direction. And I think it's a good time to, to, again, remember the people that got it, people that are gone, first of all, which is heartbreaking as it is, but secondarily, the people that, are, that have got us here, the, the, the nurses, the doctors, the frontline workers, the people that clean the hospitals and, and do the, the, you know, get the supermarkets up and running so people could get through this thing. I think we, we shouldn't forget, you know, that, the, that they answered the call of duty far and beyond what was really expected of them. And I think we should, this is a good time to appreciate that. Jim? Well, the last time I had my first kudos, so I want to uh, beg you. Back to the outrage, or are you want, building on the kudo theme? I'm going to do two brief outrages. Okay. Two brief outrages. The first You've got one about has, a minute to do it. The first one has to do with Brunswick, Georgia, the tri trial of Ahmad uh, Aubrey uh, with uh, his defense attorney that got up and said he went uh, 
uh, full racist in my opinion, got up and said, we don't want no black pastors uh, sitting with the family or sitting in the courthouse. Uh, no Jesse Jacksons, or no Al Sharptons. Uh, you know, and I'm trying to mimic as close as I can how he said it. I thought I was back in the South in the 60s, you know, in a courtroom. And I think that to, to, to talk about black pastors who are comforting the family in such a way that they are, are, are an object that can influence the jury, heaven forbid, right, um, is just outrageous. And it's despicable and it's reprehensible. And I think that, that the judge said as much. And the second one has to do with the Republican Party as well, because <laughs> not, the, not the members, but the constituents, <laughs> the constituents, because I, I'll just deal with the, some of the callers to some of those 13 uh, Republican members that voted for the uh, infrastructure bill, 13 Republican congressmen voted for the infrastructure bill and got some of the nastiest calls I've ever heard. They were called traitors, their lives were threatened, and I do think that they're going to be primary. Uh, there's talk of primarying these people that supported President Biden's bipartisan infrastructure bill. So they're putting money in those communities, and they're a traitor for voting to put money in communities that need the so money. So that's why Democrats need to vote for Republicans to keep us in office, those ones in that's office. A that's a whole other question. <laughs> that's another show. Folks, that is uh, all the time we have. Bill and Lisa and Jim, thank you so much. Folks, next week is Thanksgiving, so our crew is going to be off, but we're going to run a special encore presentation if you didn't see it earlier this fall. We had the governor and the House Speaker and the Senate President for the first time on any set. You can watch what they had to say again and see if some of what they said in September still holds up. For the rest of you, have a great Thanksgiving. We'll be back here for the new show two weeks from now as a lively experiment continues. A lively experiment is generously underwritten by. Hi, I'm John Hazen White Jr. For over 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS.